Ron will be reading the prayer of illumination. Dear God, thank you for speaking to us through your word. Help us to hear and obey. Amen. Today's scripture is 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So, I exhort you, the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, really an honor to be with you uh, this morning here. Um, I, as uh, has been mentioned, my name is Jeff. I'm a pastor at a church called Boulevard Presbyterian Church. Uh, we are in Oak Park, Illinois, which is just on the western edge of Chicago. And uh, last year, we were in need of an interim worship um, and music director. And Evan called me up and uh, or emailed first, and then we had a phone call and and, and offered himself um, to, to fill that need. And it was a tremendous blessing for our congregation at that time when we, we needed someone. Um, we were blessed by Evan's gifts, uh, musically, um, as well as pastorally. Um, and also, I personally and the congregation were blessed by just who he is um, and his friendship and his family too. So it's an honor. Uh, my wife couldn't be with us today, but it's an honor for my kids and I uh, to be with here to celebrate um, and stand behind his ordination. Uh, we, as you, uh, see those same giftings and callings in his life uh, from God, and so we're happy on behalf of Boulevard Presbyterian also to stand with you today, too. Um, it, it's also cool for me uh, to be in a Christian Reformed church. Um, I think this is my first time to worship in a CRC church, 
Um, we, for years, I have read and used your materials. Um, <clears throat> Paul says to the Corinthians, all things are yours. So <laughs> take what we can get from other denominations. Um, and, and our children this morning are using CRC curriculum uh, because it's really good and focused on Jesus. We love that. Uh, in my stead, uh, serving communion at at Boulevard in Oak Park is a CRC minister uh, who attends our congregation. So anyway, I have deep affection and gratitude for this particular branch um, of God's one holy apostolic and, uh, and Catholic church. So glad to be with you this morning in that regard too. So um, you already uh, heard it read. Thank you, Susan, for reading First Peter. Thank you, Ron, for praying for God's blessing. Um, let me also just pray uh, for God to, um, to give us ears to hear his word as we look at 1 Peter 5 more deeply together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the chief shepherd. I want to ask that, uh, that right now you would shepherd us, that you, by your spirit, would give us ears to hear your word, and that all in all the ways that we need you to shepherd us this morning, and we know some of that for ourselves. We know the burdens, the doubts, the fears, the anxieties that we carry. Um, and there's probably a lot that it's hard for us even to admit about our own need. But you know that as a good shepherd. So care for us on our need. Help us to cast our anxieties on you because you care for us. Help us to trust in your shepherding uh, of us and help us to hear your word. Form us by it. We pray this through Christ. Amen. So this morning, um, in this second Sunday of Lent, on a Sunday when we're ordaining um, Evan to be a minister of the Word too, I thought it could be good for us to hear particularly what the Apostle Peter wrote to churches um, about the role of elder uh, in the church. And we're kind of uh, parachuting into the end of his letter in chapter 5. So let me just briefly kind of cast a vision for the whole letter so we can better understand what he's doing here in chapter 5. So Peter, you see this right at the beginning of, of chapter 1 in First Peter. He is writing to the series of churches scattered across Roman provinces in Asia Minor. Um, so this, which is now like modern-day Turkey. These, we can tell from Peter's letters, are churches that have been through it. Uh, they've been through a lot of opposition and persecution. It's been hard. It's taken a toll on them. And what I think Peter is doing overall in this letter is he's writing a letter to encourage the church, uh, those particular churches, and by God's providence, us too this morning, that, you know, whatever it is that you're facing as individual Christians, whatever struggles you have individually and as a congregation, talks about that God has your back, that God's got you. He talks about in the first chapter that we have a living hope in Jesus um, and that that is indestructible. You know, life here can feel very destructible. Um, we're very vulnerable creatures. And yet we are tied to this indestructible living hope in Jesus. And what that means is, you know, it's a good story. God has your back. You don't need to worry. We get to the fifth chapter, and he talks in particular about elders in the church. And I think he's doing that because Peter has a vision for one of the ways that God, and there's a lot of practical issues he addresses in this letter, the relationships all of us have with each other um, in the church as a household, the ways that we interact and, and face the various suffering that life throws our way. 
Um, he focuses here on church leaders, in particular elders, as he calls them, because he sees that one of the ways that God shepherds his own church is through providing human leaders. And so I think this is something that's directed at your particular, the people who are just standing up front, your elders and deacons. Uh, it's directed to you, Evan, as a newly ordained minister of the word. Um, it's also directed to really all of us. There are implications for all the ways that God calls you as, as Christians to lead. And I think for all of us, there are different ways God calls each of us to lead and to follow, right? Church leaders should, I think, first be followers of Jesus before they're leaders, but also all of us, whether it's in prayer, in family, in a student group, in a project at work, in whatever spheres God gives you, he also calls us to lead. And I think one of his points here is that Christian leading in the church and even outside the church, too, Christian leading should look different from the leading we normally experience in the world. And it should look different because of the way that Jesus leads. If you look here, the main verb that Peter uses for elders is he says, shepherd. Shepherd. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So what does a leader do? A leader shepherds. We heard that language even echoed in the form for ordination um, used for Evan this morning. What does a leader do? A leader shepherds. And I think a great place to then start thinking about Christian leading is to actually literally imagine a, a literal shepherd. What does that shepherd do? A shepherd cares for sheep, right? We, um, I don't know, at least I don't, I, I'm not around shepherds very much. I could actually see Madison being a place where there are literal shepherds in that cool kind of backyard way. Um, are any, any shepherds in the room? I know there are backyard chicken people. Oh, wow, literally, okay. <laughs> I think, and you would know better than I, I think like some things about shepherds, one is they have to be with the sheep. Even with COVID, right, we can do a lot remotely. You cannot remotely shepherd sheep I mean, I'm sure there's a way to do it, but not normally, right? Shepherds are with sheep for the purpose of providing for them, feeding them, caring for them, um, and protecting them and guiding them. That's one of the things. Shepherds need to be with sheep to care for the sheep. And you, this metaphor, it's not just Peter. Throughout Scripture, Scripture uses this metaphor to talk about leadership in God's family. Um, Moses. What was Moses doing before the burning bush? Shepherding sheep. Uh, David. What was David doing before God called him to be king of his people? Shepherding sheep. So often in scripture, the king and other leaders are referred to as scriptures, as, as shepherds, because God expects his leaders to first and foremost care for people, to care for others, to care for sheep. So Ezekiel 34, that Old Testament lesson we heard, that's about 500 years after King David, the shepherd, and about 500 years before Jesus uh, comes around. God speaks prophetically through Ezekiel and says, O oh, shepherds of Israel, you're doing an awful job. You are doing a bad job shepherding. He says, you shepherds of Israel have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? And he goes on, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and instead with force and harshness you have ruled over them. 
God has said in his word that leaders should feed the sheep, but these leaders are instead eating the sheep. I think when I read that, I wonder in what ways have we experienced bad shepherding, bad leadership like that? If you've been around enough in the world, you inevitably have. Maybe at work, maybe at school, maybe at church, maybe in family, maybe in public service. I think we see a lot of eating of the sheep. Well, in Ezekiel 34, I think God is giving us this picture of bad shepherds because it's actually what human leadership naturally tends toward. We naturally, as leaders, tend to go that way. And so how is God going to respond? In Ezekiel 34, God says two things, two ways he's going to respond. First, he's going to save the sheep. He's going to rescue the sheep from the mouths of the shepherds. And the second thing he says he's going to do is he says, I myself am going to shepherd these sheep. You obviously cannot do it. And so I'm going to do what you cannot do. I'm going to feed and to strengthen, to heal, to bind up, to bring back. All the things you failed to do, I will do in your stead so that my people are cared for. That is very much in the back of Peter's mind as he's talking about elders in the church. He's saying, you are shepherding, it's true, but you are not the shepherd. He uses the language here in verse 4, when the two, the church shepherd, which is not you, appears. At the end in verse 10, he says, after you, the church, have suffered in this life for a little while, what's going to happen? The God of all grace will himself, you hear the echoes from Ezekiel, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you. Those are shepherding things, restoring, confirming, strengthening, establishing you. God himself, at the end of time, will do all the shepherding work. He's the chief shepherd. Jesus, in John 10, calls himself what? The good shepherd. And basically, he's saying in that passage, I am, it's one of these I am statements in John, I am the Ezekiel 34 answer to all the bad shepherding in the world. And that's exactly what we see in Jesus' ministry. Think about what is Jesus doing in the Gospels? Feeding people. Literal food, right? He literally feeds the sheep. Material and also spiritual food and nourishment too. What does he do with the weak? Abuse and use them? No, he strengthens them. With the sick, heals and binds them up. With those who are lost, he seeks them out. And he rules them how? With gentleness. Jesus goes so far in John 10 to say, you know, when the big bad wolf comes, if, if a hired hand is looking after the sheep, what's he going to do? Run, right? Get out of there out of fear of his own life. But Jesus says the good shepherd doesn't do that. Actually, most shepherds would do that too, as far as I know. When it becomes their life or the life of sheep, if you're a shepherd, I'd, probably I would value your life more. Like you should run from the big bad wolf. But Jesus says, I'm not going to do that. I'm different from any shepherd you can imagine in this world. I'm going to put myself right between what threatens my people and my people because I care for them. I love them. And that's what we see Jesus doing on the cross, right? He puts himself between what threatens his people, namely the foes of death and sin. 
and he says, you take me. You give me your worst. You have at me because I'm protecting my sheep, laying down my life for the sheep because I am the good shepherd. Friends, that's the chief shepherd. That's the chief shepherd of the church. That's the chief shepherd of your lives. There's no one better looking after you and to apply to us on this day. Everything that Peter is now going to apply to elders in particular in the church and all Christian leading just flows out of that reality of the chief shepherd who we have. And we just want to highlight a few of the points that he in particular makes to merely human shepherds um, like us, merely human leaders in the church in this passage to point out to you, Evan, on the day of your ordination, but also in all the implications it has for all of us in basic Christian living. And let me just inquire. Actually, I'm, most pastors, many pastors have three points. I actually have three points. I usually don't. Um, and I want to call it the heart, the how, and the limit of shepherding. The heart of shepherding, the how of shepherding, and the limit of shepherding. So the heart of shepherding. Peter writes that shepherds, starting in verse 2, he, he uses these three contrasting phrases about how elders should shepherd in the church. And the first two of these have to do directly with the heart. He says, elders shepherd how? Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The contrasts are interesting. On the one side are the ways that shepherds should not Elders should not shepherd. And these are basically the bad reasons that people get into leadership or often stay in leadership. Even if they didn't get in there, it's what keeps them in leadership. You know, there are plenty of those bad reasons people get into leadership from like leading on the playground at school <laughs> to work projects to, you know, whatever it is, a domineering way to lead a family. Sometimes we're in leadership for power trip or to protect ourselves, to stoke egos for financial gain, to prove something to ourselves or to the world. Well, those motives, they might be hidden to others, but the reality is if one is leading with those sort of selfish motives, it will inevitably turn you into one of the bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34. So Peter says to the elders in the church, it's to be different with you. And granted, you know, we all have mixed motives probably with everything. But Peter is urging the leaders of the church, be saying no, be discerning any of those bad ways in you, be saying no to those selfish ways that would cause you to not feed sheep but eat them, leaving those behind and moving toward, which is the, the other side, to be shepherding willingly and eagerly, which is the say to have a heart of love. Love the sheep. Love the sheep. Cultivate that kind of heart for leadership. That's why you're doing it, to care for sheep. And he says, I love his language here, the flock of God among you, like you in particular, not sort of, you know, some idealized version of the church that you may love, but flesh and blood, real people sitting with you in this room right now or on campus. That's the flock of God among you. Do it for love of them. Uh, I was excited to see that there's a group here reading uh, Bonhoeffer's Life Together uh, during Lent. He's already been quoted once, and I'm going to quote him again. 
Um, he, so if, if you don't know his story, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was um, a pastor in the German church when Hitler came to power and resisted that. Um, part, of what, part of his story that's amazing is he was actually in New York um, studying theology, and it was his experience with the African-American church in Harlem that helped him to see sort of like people who had a real faith in a living God that could actually do things, unlike kind of a lot of the theology of his day said. So that inspired him and helped set him back. So when he returned to Germany, he firmly resisted the Nazis, was a part of this kind of underground seminary training in, in the north and, and movement of Christians called the Confessing Church. And this book that you're reading, Life Together, was like a manual uh, of training for this sort of underground church movement and, the, and seminary movement. And let me just read what he says at one point. Christian community has often been destroyed by, what do you think he's going to say? And you know, his whole, the whole national church has basically just said, we're following Hitler because he has the power, he's our leader. So what has it been destroyed by? He says, clinging to an ideal version of the church and refusing to be grateful for what actually is the church. That's what so often destroys the church, clinging to the ideal and refusing to be grateful for what actually is, namely like the people in this room, and right? The Christians God brings into our lives. He goes on, is not a brother or sister sin a constant occasion for me to complain and get annoyed? Oh, no, he says, to give thanks that both of us may live in the forgiving love of God and Jesus Christ. If the actual Christian fellowship you find yourself in is disappointing you, and that's inevitable in any Christian, of, in any circle of that community is God's gift for your sanctification. Not some idealized community, but that community. This community is God's gift for your sanctification. What might appear weak and trifling to us may be great and glorious to God. Jesus is the example of that kind of love and affection for actual sheep. He says in John 10, I know my own. And he, you know, they know me. I call them by name. He knows the name of the sheep. It's not some idealized thing. He knows them personally. He knows you personally. And he, to use Peter's language, willingly and eagerly serves the sheep, lays his life down for the sheep because he loves them in particular, by name. What Peter is saying, all the little shepherds in the church, the merely human ones, should represent him by doing the same. A prayer for all shepherds in the church is, Jesus, this person is personally important to you. You love them. You laid your life down for them. Help me to know them, to enjoy them, to love them as you do. Teach me daily to shepherd willingly and eagerly. So that's the heart of shepherding. The how of shepherding. The last, so we looked at those first two contrasting phrases. Peter has one more last contrasting phrase for how elders should shepherd. He says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Evan, when I read that, I thought of you. I think you exude that kind of gentle exemplifying of the Christian life, that kind of gentle leadership. 
I think so often the temptation can be in life when things are not going our way, we're going to make it happen. <laughs> we're going to force it to happen, right? That was the Apostle Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. His master, Jesus, is, is being arrested. Things are not going the way Peter wants it to go, so he reaches for his sword. You know, it's by force that we're going to make the right thing happen. And of course, Jesus at that moment says to Peter, put away your sword. This is not how my kingdom grows. It grows instead, as Peter has learned by this point, by the point he's writing this letter, it grows by humble, gentle, exemplary witness. Uh, in ministry, uh, Evan, I think there can be, and there is a lot uh, in ministry, um, you know, there's room for new insights. There's, there's room for creative thinking and trying to problem solve in, in ministry. But what we at the core most need from you, the center of what you today have been ordained to do, is to keep pointing us to Jesus. That same thing over and over again. It's what we all, as brothers and sisters, most need from each other. To keep not a new, I mean, there's space for the creative thinking and the new techniques, but what we most need is to keep, keep, keep pointing us back to Jesus. There's no better thing the church has to offer than to keep pointing. I love that there's a cross there. Keep pointing back to Jesus. That's it. That's it in everything that we face. Evan, as a minister of, um, ordained minister of word and sacrament, those are two ways we need you in particular with your specific calling to keep pointing us to Jesus, the word and the sacrament, the word and the sacrament, because those two things witness to who Jesus is. We also need you to do that by the example of your life, as Peter says. Now, please, none of us here should hear that as saying what Peter needs is the example of a perfect life. And, you know, if you don't have that, well, you better pretend like you do uh, for the sake of your witness, or you can't witness to Christ at all. No, rather, what we need from you, Evan, and from each other is the example of your personal trust in Christ who is perfect. What that means is when you sin, to be quick to repent and repair because you know Jesus forgives you and redeems and his grace is so much greater than your sin. That is the exemplary life that points to Jesus. What we need is that when you are discouraged and the trials are big, to keep against all apparent hope, to keep hoping in Christ because you know that he, the chief shepherd, is enough. Keep pointing us to Christ with word, sacrament, and the example of your life. That's how God calls you to shepherd us, Evan. So that's the, the heart of shepherding, the how of shepherding. And finally, I want to talk about the limit of shepherding. Evan, you can't do it all. None of us in this room can do it all. We all have limits. Those limits are real, and they're also God-ordained. Peter mentions three threats in this passage. Pride, anxiety, and the devil. And, um, he does, he's not mentioned a lot in Scripture, but we actually just sing about him in that Paul Zach song, right? The serpent will be crushed. And Peter also mentions him when he's talking about ministry in the church. So pride and anxiety, those come, I think, when we think we can do it all. That's pride. 
or when we think we should be doing it all. That's anxiety, pride and anxiety. The mention of the devil reminds us that there's more than meets the eye behind our pride and anxiety, and all the other obstacles in life, too, that happen. There's more. There's a spiritual force, a personal spiritual force orchestrating that all. There's a lot more than meets the eye. Put it all together, and it's enough to completely devour a person or a community or a ministry. There's a pastor I know who I heard him once say that there was enough sin in his pinky finger to destroy the congregation God had entrusted into his care. And that's true for all of us. There's enough pride, anxiety, and sin in each of us, in our pinky fingers, to take us down, let alone a community. So what do we do? Freak out and run? Well, no. Our best protection against all three of those threats in this passage is to honestly admit it's bigger than me. This is overwhelmingly, the threat is way bigger than me. You know, the big bad wolf is really big and bad. I have limits. I can't do it. And so you, chief shepherd, shepherd. God, do what you promised to do in Ezekiel 34 through Jesus. You yourself come and care for me as a sheep and care for the whole flock as sheep. Evan, one important way that I want to say on the day of your ordination for you to live within your limits is to be intentional about Sabbath rest. It's hard, I think, for all of us, particularly in our culture, which sees rest as weakness and laziness, <laughs> you know, it's lack of virtue. It is hard to stop, to just stop for a day, to not collect the manna for a day, to not work for a day, to stop worrying, to stop having meetings, to stop figuring out, but just to do it, and instead to take it easy, <laughs> to just take it easy for a day a week. Why? Because you know there's a chief shepherd who cares for you. To, to practice Sabbath, to practice rest, and Evan, I'm thinking about, and for all of us, the intentional rhythms daily, right? I mean, God made us, we have to sleep every day. We have to shut down and do absolutely nothing. It's our body's way of saying, we have limits, we can't do it all. To find ways to spiritually, physically, in all the ways intentionally, daily, weekly, monthly, annually, you know, the way that God has the earth spinning and the stars moving and the moon moving, it gives us regular rhythms that divide up the time so that we can at times just stop and rest and there's nothing like that kind of Christian resting that announces to our hearts and to the watching world, it's not, it doesn't all come down to the work of our hands. It comes down, every leader in the church is first someone who needs not to shepherd, but to be shepherded. Every leader is first a follower of Jesus. And Evan, one of the things we need you to do for us as a minister of the gospel is to rest. That's good for you. It's good for your family, and it's good for the ministry, because it reminds us of what it's all about. You know, what the church has to offer the world is not, come join us in all the great work that we're doing, right? There is work that God calls us to do, but it's not like, you know, 
feels like a pyramid scheme after time. Join us in this great thing we're doing because it supports this great thing we're doing and this great thing we're doing. That's not the Christian invitation. It's no, come join us in resting in what God has done, is doing, and will do in Christ. What we're invited to is, it's, it's captured in Jesus' word, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you a bunch of things to do for me so that it's all on you. No, I will give you rest. Jesus wants us to rest in him. And when we do that, when we recognize the, the limits that we have, it makes the heart be free to love, and it makes the how be free to actually gently care and not manipulate and use. Listen how Paul ends this passage. It's a gospel declaration that invites us to rest. He says, The God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.